All right, well, uh, let me give you just a little, a little recap. You know, we're in Galatians chapter 3. And uh, so to kind of keep you caught up with what, what's happening, if you remember, I said earlier that this book is a little different because the tone and tenor of, of Paul's address is a little bit different because now he was having to defend himself and to defend the gospel. And, and so therefore, he don't sound his normal way when he start off because he make it known that he declared that he's an apostle, even though he didn't walk with Jesus, that he, how he uh, was inspired by God uh, and received the word through personal uh, encounter with Jesus. And so now he, we get to chapter 3, where he's still trying to build this case by appealing to the hearts and minds of the people who he had shared the gospel with in Galatia, because he, he remembered how clearly they understood the gospel when he taught it to them. But now, for some reason, you know, uh, they had gotten, uh, started getting pulled off track, getting pulled off course. And because that was happening, and it looked like it was happening so quickly, it was a cause for him to be alarmed. So now that's why tonight he makes three arguments as he's trying to appeal to them uh, to continue his argument that we are justified by faith uh, in Jesus and not by works of the law. And so here tonight he makes some personal arguments in one through five where he talks to them about that personal relationship and the things that they have gone through personally. And then he makes some scripture arguments uh, from six through 14. And then he appeals to a logical argument, you know, and, and, and that's a good thing that we can kind of learn from this. Sometimes when you're trying to minister to people the word of God and get them to see certain things, one, you, you, you know, you're going to have to sometimes appeal to people's personally, where they are personally, start right where they are personally, and show them the benefit of the gospel to their personal life. Then you can use that by backing up it with scripture to show how the scripture would be a better way for them to live in accordance with the scripture than in accordance with the world. And then sometimes, like I say, you have to just put it down there where the goats can get it. You have to make it plain so that there will be no doubt in their mind what you're talking about. So tonight, at the end, he's going to make it plain. I mean, he's going to say, hey, look, I, I, you ain't going to walk out of here saying, I didn't understand what Paul was talking about. Because he's going to start off and say, well, I know some of y'all may not be that deep in Scripture. You don't know nothing about the law. You don't know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, you know, and Numbers, and, and all those things. And the first five books of the Bible is considered the law and all the things that God told Moses through the law. Some of y'all probably never read the first five books. So when I started getting here and talking about all those laws that those folks had to keep, ah, uh, that didn't make no sense. But then we started saying, okay, compare this to you writing a will for your family. Then you're going to say, oh, okay, I understand a will for my family. I understand a binding agreement, like say, for instance, those of you, how many of you got car notes before you pay a monthly in the bill? Did you know that's a binding agreement? You just can't wake up tomorrow morning and decide I ain't making another payment. If you do, you'll be breaking the law. But, but, but if you appeal to someone and they decide to change the law and say, okay, Major, we're going to give you a six-month grace period. You ain't got to pay nothing. You're okay. But you got to get approval. You just can't haul off and do that. Just like I have a will. I can't all of a sudden decide tomorrow morning I'm going to get them to do some pen and ink changes and just think that they're going to be enforced. No, I got to take that to a lawyer. He got to run that through the court system. Somebody got to put a stamp of approval on it. 
then I can change it if I want to write one of my kids out of my will. That made me mad. Okay, I'm going to write them out. I can't just all of a sudden just line through her name and say, you ain't getting nothing. It's for the other two. No. Somehow to me, she's going to take the original, don't care nothing about that line, and she's still in there. So what are you going to appeal to us is that certain things, when it comes to God, if he didn't go back and ratify and change something that he put in place, it's still in place. And that's what the point he's going to try to make here at the end because that's what discussion come about now, whether or not we still need to be operating under the law of Moses or have the law been superseded by something better. And if God superseded it with something better or used it for a period of time, then we got to go with the superseded version and not what was in the original. Okay, so look at this. In verse 1, he talks about the law and faith in Christ. He says, O foolish Galatians. Now that's what exclamation point, New Living. You know, that's a funny way to open up talking to somebody. You know. But you got to understand, he wasn't calling them fools as if they were ignorant and had no knowledge. These were pretty intelligent folks. He was calling them foolish because they didn't know how to properly apply the intelligence that they had when it came to the scripture. So they say, say, how can you have all this knowledge about Jesus based on what I taught you all, and now you can be acting so foolish? So he says, now, oh foolish Galatians, Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Some of your Bible say bewitched. So even back then, there were people who had certain powers, who were like majors, they can, they, can, they can cast spells on folk. You know, work a Ruth. You know, whatever they were believing in, because magical arts has been around a long time. And there's an art to working magic. And so therefore he said, now somebody must have got inside your head and cast a spell on you. He says, why? Because for the meaning of Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. He says, when you were taught this word major, man, it wasn't no doubt in your mind. It was almost like even though you were not there, I taught this thing so plainly in your mind you could see Jesus on that cross. I mean, you, you got a picture in your mind, you could see him on that cross, and you understood what his death, his burial, and his resurrection meant because it was taught to you plainly. And he says, now, having all that knowledge and how plain it was taught, it wasn't over your head. So you can't go back and say, well, I didn't understand what Paul was talking about. That's why I tell people that, that come to strive and listen to me, you ain't going to be able to get to heaven and say you ain't know. I, uh, you know, Pastor Bowen's was too deep. I ain't know what he's talking about. No, no, no. Plain. So you walk out here with an understanding. Because important when it, it's important that when we deal with God's word, that we get an understanding. And see, when we get an understanding, then we stand a better chance of applying what we have. So sometimes you have to paint pictures in people's minds with the word. Amen. So that's for sometimes, because there's power in words that can paint pictures. Right now, we all sit here in Bible study. And if all of a sudden, I just start talking and say, you know what? Man, my mind is on a big mat. A Big Mac. I mean, you know, just my mind's on a Big Mac, man. I can just taste it in my hand. Triple that high. 
Big Mac with some fries and a Coke on the side. Now, right then, some of y'all minds could picture a Big Mac just like you were standing there in front of them golden arches. All because of the words that are used. And now, guess what? Because I done planted that word in your house. When some of y'all drive past at night, you're going to pay attention to the market. You would have drove right on by, but you can say, hey. Why? Because something has been planted in your mind. And so therefore, when you come to church, it's important that you leave with an understanding. The word of God got to be planted in your heart and in your mind so that you will know how to defend it and to apply it. Because if you don't understand it, you cannot defend it when you're talking to somebody who's coming against it, and then you won't know how to live it. So, so therefore, it's important for us to understand that the picture of what Christ's death on the cross meant to us got to be made plain. You got to know in your heart and your mind, why did Jesus die? Why God sent him to die for us? And, and if you can understand that, then you don't have people that can put you on a guilt trip about your past sins. Because now you know the full picture, why God sent Jesus. So that I would not have to be bonded in bondage to the law and to my past sins. And so because I know that, then now I'm free from all of that because now I walk in the newness of life. So he says, now look, I made the picture plain to you of what Christ's death on the cross meant. Now look at this. He said, look, let me ask you this question. Talking from a personal argument. Major, did you receive the Holy Spirit, by obeying the law of Moses. Major, I'm pretty sure you're going to say, of course not. I don't even know what the law of Moses is. I don't know all Moses' law, but I'm saved. I'm walking in the newness of life with Jesus, but I, I don't know all the stuff that Moses wrote in the Old Testament. I don't read the Old Testament a little bit, but I don't remember all them laws in the first five books, which is called a Pentateuch. I don't remember all them laws. I ain't trying to. Don't need them. But if I'm studying, I want to tie them to something that's happening in the New Testament, that's okay. But it's not like I need those things to be saved. I can get saved by my having that relationship with Jesus Christ and not that relationship with the law. Now, it's good, and I'm a, I believe you study the whole Bible. So I'm not a person that say I'm a New Testament believer. Only, we only read from Matthew to Revelation. No, I believe you ought to have a good reference of the Bible and study the whole Bible because there are a lot of references that Paul will make here later. Jesus made references to the Old Testament. And at this time, that was all they had available. So what we're reading now, they weren't privy to this type of conversation. All they had was the law and the prophets and then the book of poetry, you know, the Psalms, Solomon, you know, and Proverbs, things of that nature, okay? That making sense to everybody? He said, so let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? No, we learned from Romans that, you know, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes. He a package deal. You receive him when you receive Jesus. So you didn't have to quote the Ten Commandments to get the Holy Spirit. You had to believe in Jesus. Okay? So he says, of course not. He says, you receive the Spirit because you believe the message you heard about Christ. So we have the Spirit. Let's get that. He says now, verse 3, how foolish can you be? Again, he's appealing to them personally now, and I'm pretty sure 
Some of them sitting there probably took exception. Here you go, calling up food again. But he just asked them a question. They didn't want them to answer. How foolish can you be? How foolish can you be? After starting your Christian life in the spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect or mature by your own human effort? If you started walking with the Lord in the spirit and by walking in faith and believing in Jesus Christ, then now why are you going to go back and practice circumcision? Why are you going to go back to practice rituals and, 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 and sacrificing lambs and doves and goats? Why are you going back to something that you didn't start your relationship? You, you didn't start your relationship with Jesus Major by bringing Pastor Bowden a turtle dove and say, okay, Pastor, please, you know, wring his neck for me so I can bid my sins to be forgiven. Now, if you had started your relationship like that, that would be valid. But nobody told you to bring us a dove or a goat or a ram or a bull to get saved. So now all of a sudden you've been listening at the Hebrew teachers out there and they don't convince you that, man, I should have brought pastor a dove. Let me, let me go and get a dove and bring him to pastor so that my sins can be. That's how simple he's trying to make this to them. He's saying, look, why are you going to go back to something in the natural and physical when God has already taken care of this for you in the spirit? He says, now look, because it's foolish. If you done started in the spirit, stay in the spirit. Walk in the spirit. Live by the spirit. Because human effort is not going to get you there. We already know that our human effort failed us. And so therefore we can't go back and try to be right with God through our own human effort. We have to accept what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. Ain't that right, Finley? Because even you, Finley, a guy like you who could probably go out and get me a ram. <laughs> you have, you say, Pastor, you know, man, I just don't feel like going down to, you know, down here to, you know, Walton County to find you a bull or a ram for my sin to be forgiven. Nobody, they didn't tell me that when I first got saved. And so I would be shocked if someone all of a sudden started teaching you something and you came to me one day and said, Pastor, I think I need to go get me a ram. I'm going to say, how foolish can you be? Finley, you got all that education. How? And you know what? People are normally deceived by other people. It's going to be people that's going to pull you away from the gospel. It's going to be people that come to you with arguments that if you can't defend your position, they're going to pull you over to their position. That's why so many people are walking away from the faith now. Because they don't know how to defend what they believe in and an argument that you can't defend yourself against will sound good to you. And so he says, look, don't be so foolish. You know, if you don't start in the spirit, continue to to live and believe that God is going to perfect you through the Spirit, not through your own effort. He said, look, verse five, 4, he says, have you experienced so much for nothing? I mean, you done went through a lot of stuff just since you done got saved. I mean, you done made up to say, I'm going to give up some stuff. I done gave up some stuff. I done, I done, you done got saved, man, my life changed. I done went through some things that I done came on Jesus. He said, now look, if you went through all that, and now you're going to go back and, and believe you need to go to a ram. Did you do all that for 
nothing. What if you had died while you was doing all that? Would your living have been in vain believing that Jesus was your answer to your eternal salvation? And the point he's trying to make is that, hey, when you think of it like that, man, you don't want your effort in the Lord to be in vain. He says, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? Then in verse 5, I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? And he answered for him, of course not. It is because you have believed the message you heard about Jesus. So that's the question that you've got to always answer. You've all been coming to church, and I hope you've been going to churches earlier before striving, that at least you learned something about Jesus. Because a lot of times now you can go to church and don't hear nothing about Jesus. So sooner or later, I don't care where you go to church, they got to talk about Jesus sometime. They can't give you six months of just making you feel good about you all the time and don't never tell you about Jesus. They, they just can't tell you, just go out and just live your best life. And everybody can follow that message. That's good for a month. But who am I supposed to live my best life with? And, and, and obey. Who am I supposed to follow while I'm living my best life? Who's going to be the God while I'm living my best? Because if not, it's going to be whatever you watch or get into your head the most. That's going to di dictate to you what your best life is. Our best life ought to be governed by the Lord. We ought to believe that if, if we follow his instruction and do what he desires for us to do, we're going to live a good life. We're going to live our best life. Now, if you measure your best life based upon material things, you may feel like, hey, I can miss some things by following Jesus. But life is more than the stuff that you can't take with you. Major, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, growing up, I mean, I, I didn't learn a lot about Jesus, but what I did learn was a lot of do's and don'ts which was, in essence, like the law. I mean, we were, we were taught that, hey, if you did this and this, you're going to hell. Or if you did this and this, you're sinning. It was always a lot of do's and don'ts, but not anything about grace, not how Jesus died on the cross. Amen. And, and, and I think a lot of us were brought up with that aspect of preaching, that sometimes you have to preach some points in a negative way to get people's attention, but you can't be all negative when grace exists. I mean, because then you, you put in them people's mindset that they can never be forgiven for the mistakes that they make. And so, therefore, we know that God is always willing to forgive us. He just tells us we need to repent. But if you go to a church and you're right, if you, all you hear is don'tology, then that's what makes young folks rebel because nobody won't be told don't, don't, don't. Even when we was kids, when the mom said don't do that, don't do that, the first thing you want to do is do it. But you still have to tell them some don'ts because it's for their own good. Because you don't want to be held guilty that I didn't tell my little child that that stove is hot and don't touch it. She may not like that message, but when she do touch it, I am going to say, I told you so. You learned your lesson the hard way. Now, now some of y'all who are God's children, you're going to learn your lesson the hard way. Amen. Some people are just destined to learn their lesson the hard way. But there are some people who are wise enough to learn from other people's mistakes. I saw what happened when this person did that, so if I don't want the same results, I don't need to do what they did. 
And that's why I tell people, don't buy into that. Yeah, your family may have been jacked up when you were little. But look here. You ain't under no generational curse unless you do what the jacked up family did. If you do the same thing they did, you won't get the same result. If you know mom and dad and them went out there and had children out of wedlock and you saw what pressure put on them and then you decide to go out there and do the same thing, ain't no curse. That's a choice you made. You could have chose to do just the opposite of what mom and dad did and you ought to get a different result. But if you don't know no better, people say, man, I'm under this curse. I'm just walking around up under the generational curse. What is that? You know, all my brothers have been in trouble with the law. But what did they do? What are they out there trying to sell crack? They're doing this, they're stealing, they're they jacking cars. But look here, man, just don't do that. I mean, you don't need no PhD, just don't jack no car. I mean, don't break in nobody's house. But sometimes when we don't know better, we'll think, man, I'm cursed because of something my dad did, and God don't work like that. We're going to all have to give an account for our own action, our own sin. We're going to all stand before him. So therefore, I'm a mind of the mindset that you try to learn from other people's mistakes. Now, some people, like I say, just destined to go have to go through something. That's okay. You just need to make up you ain't going to be one of them. Amen. And if you have been a victim of some bad choices, then you bounce back from that. And know that that one choice don't define your whole life. And that's why the message of grace is so important to let us know that one bad choice don't destroy our relationship with the Holy God, especially if we come to him through Jesus Christ. So now, hey, I hey, hope Pastor. this is making sense. Somebody was talking? Yeah, fin Finley over here got, got something for you. Okay. Um, I got a question for you. Um, so for that person, scenario-based type question. <laughs> so for that, you mentioned earlier about, say if, I'm just going to say what I got to say. So say if a person, you know, they're living their lives per fine in their eyes without having God in their life, mm -hmm. then what do you say to that person who's living like that and, you know, they got, you know, what you call the bells and whistles going on in their life, but how, how, so they thinking that, hey, if I, I don't got God in my life, but I, I'm looking around, I'm, I'm feeling good. So what do you say to that person who's trying, that you're trying to get them into the church? You know, yeah. and, and again, that's a good point because if people focuses on the bells and whistles, the things, the material thing, if that's where they gain their value at and how they see their worth through, I got a good job, I got a nice car, I live in a nice house, I got nice things, then the, the answer is, okay, you got them, but they, they're going to come a point in time, they ain't going to make you happy. If that become your God, you're going to want more of it, and then you're going to start chasing it and chasing it and chasing it, and you're going to always find that the minute you get something, someone else got better. And you're never going to be content and satisfied with what God has blessed you with. And so therefore, when people get caught up like that and they live like that, they, 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 they lose sight of the fact that the Bible says, whatever you bring or acquire in this world, you can't take it with you. But now I don't heard people say, well, you know, uh, uh, in a natural way, natural argument, well, you know, when you tell people, well, you know, money can't cover everything. Money can't buy everything. But I heard somebody come back and say, well, what it can't buy, I don't want. <laughs> so in that, that person's mind believes that money is their solution to all their problems, to all their things, all their happiness. And there are rich folks jumping out windows, shooting themselves in the 
head. Rich folk on fentanyl. Cocaine. So, so it got to be a balance. And I try to tell people, I, I'm all for someone trying to grind and make it and be successful. I'm not a poverty preacher. You know, I'm not believing that everybody got to be poor, broke, and, you know, waiting on the Lord to deliver. No. If you don't went to school and you got education, you ought to believe that he's going to deliver. And don't have to apologize for that. But at the same time, don't let that become your, your God. Because then, whatever you worship or whatever's at the center of your heart, that's what you're going to worship. And there's always been a void in man's heart, a place that is reserved for God. And if we don't put him in that place, things will get there. People will get there. That's why they call rock stars or people like Michael Jackson, they used to call him a pop idol. Why do they call him a pop idol? Because they know he was an icon to millions and millions of little kids and grown folks who would lick his toes just to say that they've been around Michael. I mean, y'all, I know y'all wouldn't do it now because y'all know better. But there were some silly folks that probably would lick Mike's toes just to say, man, I'm a friend of Michael Jackson. See, now he is their God. He's not just a, a person that I like his music. No, it's more than that. And so he's not the only one. There are a lot of people, entertainers, stars. Like There are more people now chasing stars because now everybody want to be liked. And I need to ask some of y'all, who y'all liking out there? I mean, you know, you done clicked on somebody like, like. I mean, who, who, who's your like? So now, based upon who all your likes are, you're going to probably tell me a lot about you. Amen. Let me go back to the lesson. But, but Finley, I, hope, I, I hope I didn't get too far off the course, man. And if anybody else want to chime in, don't think my answer got to be the only answer. Especially when I'm just trying to use a, a logical uh, opinion on certain things based upon life experiences. But, but at the same time, I believe that, you know, the Bible does make it clear you can't have but one God in your life. You can't let money or anything take the place of God. Money, I tell people all the time, Money and success, ain't nothing. money is amoral. It's neither good or bad. It can be used to do good things, and it can be used to do bad things. It just depends on who got it and what they did to get it. And so sometimes, Finley, you know, we want to get to the corporate ladder, and some people say, well, hey, as long as Finley make it to the top of the ladder, the ends justify the means. So if he had to step on major head, to get there. If he had to rat out somebody else to get there. At the end of the day, as long as Finley's sitting there with that, you know, SES 1, 2, 3, or 4, how he got there don't matter as long as he got there. But in God's eyes, how you get to the top of the ladder does matter. Because if you get there by stepping on other people, you're going to come down when someone step on step on you. And so, Look at this. Now, you know, after he talked about that and kind of make that personal argument, then he started getting into some scripture thing by tying this back to, to Abraham. Starting in, in verse 6, he says, now look, in the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. 
He says, now, Abraham came before the law. And even before the law was written, God saw Abraham as a person of faith because he walked with God and believed God. And he said that was enough, and that was a covenant that God made with Abraham. And God made that covenant with Abraham before the law was in existence. And he got that covenant because he was right. And so he's saying, now when it comes to us, we can get that same covenant because Jesus has already made us right. What we couldn't do, Jesus did for us. And when we accept that as God's plan for our lives, then now we don't worry about trying to keep ceremonies and rituals to be right with God. We don't worry about trying to keep laws to be right with God because Jesus has already made us right with God. Like I told you, when you leave here tonight, just go back and look at the first five books of the Bible and see how much stuff you would have to try to do. You know, even laws in that have said that today, some people still work on these laws. That's why you go to Saudi Arabia, you steal something. They take you down to the center market. Cut your arm off. Right there in the square. So you know they don't have no thieves in that country because they practice the law. I'm glad that we in the country that practice a little bit of grace. At least if I steal something, I don't think I'm going to get my hand cut off. I mean, depending on where to steal, I may have to do a little time. But they ain't going to cut my hands off. But man, some people may, just may be hardcore like some of these guys. Say, well, hey, maybe we ought to start cutting off some hands in America. That logic, that logic may come around and say, man, if they know that they were cutting off hands every time somebody stole something and they put it on TV every night at 6 o'clock. <laughs> Major, go ahead. So, Pastor, with that covenant, so if the law couldn't add anything or take anything away, why was the law even put into place? He's going to tell us. He's going to tell us. He's going to say why the law was put in place. You're right. If the law couldn't ex- give, ex- extend eternal life, then why did God even put the law in place? And he's going to tell us that in a minute, you know, because it served a purpose until grace came. Okay? And so now look at this. We're going to get there. Hold on to that thought. And when I read it, you're going to see it. He said, now look. He says, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. That's us. And anybody who do that, we put our faith in God because of Jesus Christ. He said, now look, what's more, the scripture looked forward to the time, to this time when God would declare the Gentiles to be righteous because of their faith, not the law. So in other words, when you go back and study the Old Testament scripture, you'll find out that it was prophesied that God was going to save the Gentiles. That was already written. And he said, now, until that time was fulfilled, you know, they operated under the law because the law was designed to be a schoolmaster to keep them in check. Don't do this. Don't do that. God had to put laws in place to tell them after Moses came off Mount Sinai, he had to tell them what not to do because they came out of Egypt. They were doing all kind of crazy stuff and God didn't implement grace right there. So he said, look, y'all can't do this. You can't do this. You got to do this. It was just designed to be a schoolmaster, uh, something to guide them until the appointed time when grace was going to happen. But that covenant that he made with Abraham had nothing to do with the law. It was based upon 
Abraham's faith in God. So that, and it's going to make even more clear sense here when we get a little bit further into this. He says, God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long before, long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. You know, that's a natural thing and a spiritual thing. You know, when you study Abraham's life, the Jews hold Abraham in high esteem, you know, because Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Muslims hold Abraham in high esteem because of Ishmael, you know, that son that Abraham decided he was going to get on his own and his wife going to hook up. Well, God, that boy had 12 sons too. They floating around here on earth somewhere. And they look at Father Abraham and call him Father Abraham. And then after Sarah died, again, history lesson, Abraham didn't stay single. He got married to Keturah. He had seven more sons. So that boy left a lot of children <laughs> in the earth. So that's why we sing the rhymes like, Father Abraham had many kids, and many kids had Father Abraham. So when you talk at that level, and you, if you talk to uh, someone in, in Islam, they don't call him Abraham, they call him Ibrahim. Same thing, same person. So what we see here, there is some truth that Abraham responds for many nations. But here he's telling us Gentiles that, hey, not only that, but we have a spiritual connection to Abraham that is going to secure our eternal salvation because of our faith that we have in Jesus. So now look at this. He says, he says so, so all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing Abraham received because of his faith. So if you put your faith in Christ, Whatever God promised to Abraham, he promised it to Abraham before there was circumcision. You got the same promise. Then the main promise he was talking about, God had promised Abraham that he was going to have eternal life. He, he had promised that. So the promise that we're holding the main one is that because of him and our faith in Jesus, we inherit that same promise, eternal life. We, we inherit that. So, now hold on that. But there are a lot of other promises that he made to Abraham, but that's the main one that we need to focus in now because we don't have to do works of the law to achieve eternal life. We have to put our faith in Jesus and believe that because of God's grace, we will receive eternal life. Okay? Any questions? Now look at this. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God, are under the curse. For the scripture says, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands which are written in God's book of the law. There's a passage in Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of the law. In other words, he said, Major, this law thing is so serious, you can't just cherry pick the ones you like. It's all or none. So, so you don't like the one by cutting off the hands, but you like the other ones that say all you need to do is just beat your kids down. So, so when your kids act up, you'll take them outside the gate and let them get beat down in the public square to keep them in line 
but you ain't cutting off your hand when you stole stuff. And that law, it goes on and on and on. And there were so many things in there that even the rabbis in later times added other things on top of the law and ceremonies that made it impossible to keep. So what he was saying, the Bible said, if you mess up one of them, you might as well mess up all of them. And so it was impossible for them to live under the law because they could not keep it. But God put it in place for a reason so that he could guide them to a place. Now look at this. He says, you got to obey it all. So he says, verse 11, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. And that's why he kind of quotes a little bit of an Old Testament scripture. If you're familiar with the book of Habakkuk, and then Paul kind of requoted it in Romans 1.17, where he says, the just shall live by faith. That's the Old Testament. And Paul came back and said, we are justified by faith. And so therefore he was confirming through the scripture, he's using the scripture to support his argument that before the law, faith was still in play. Even during the law, he said, if you want to be just, the just shall live by faith. So it is through faith that righteous, a righteous person has life. And so for us, our faith in Jesus is accounted to us for righteousness. We take on his righteousness, not our righteousness. So he made things right between us and God. We didn't do it ourselves. And so therefore, that's why we can't boast about anything when it comes to our righteousness. Jesus, we're going to see here later, Jesus was the scapegoat. When y'all hear the term scapegoat, what that mean? What that mean? Anyway? Scapegoat. Huh? Scapegoat, some cutting corners, somebody. Say it again. Yeah, you know, scapegoat, like say, Major committed the crime, but I took the fall for Major. So I'm going to go ahead and do 5 to 20 when it should be Major doing 5 to 20. So I become the scapegoat. I let them tell a lie on me instead of counting that lie to Major, and I'm sitting in prison and Major walking free. Scapegoat. So what is happening is, is that it was our sin that Jesus died for. So he took our sin on himself, and by doing that, he made us righteous. So now righteous is just saying another way of saying justified, a legal term. I mean, y'all don't heard justified before? Justifiable homicide? It don't mean you didn't kill nobody, because homicide means somebody dead. And it means they was killed by somebody else. But they was breaking in Jesse's house. In Florida, is a right to carry. And Jesse carried. And so while they're breaking in, Jesse decided to say, I'm going to protect my house. And I'm not Jesse would do that, you know, but most of most us would. Protect my house. So now I, I did kill him. But when we get to court, they're going to prove it. Well, it was a justifiable shoot. You were justified. So that's saying to us, you were guilty. You did it. Whatever it is you did, you did it. But Jesus got the blame for you. He caught the charges. 
And because he caught the charges, now Major, I'm sitting in jail with Major out there. <laughs> Major celebrating. Major happy because, hey, he ain't in jail. I'm in jail. So we happy because Jesus on the cross. He died for us. And so therefore, because he died for us, then we got to show our appreciation to him by trying to live like he would want us to live. He said, now look. He says, this way faith is very different from the way of the law. This is verse 12, which says, it is through obeying the law that a person has life. But what he says, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. So we're not trying to be made right through the law. He says, when he hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of our wrongdoing. He was the scapegoat. For it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who hang on the tree. So Jesus took the curse for us so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty of eternal damnation for sin. And see, under the law, everything was about condemning. There was, no, there was no forgiving grace. The law always revealed to you just how bad you were and it condemned you. Every time you did it, it had a penalty for you. You're going to give it this, you're going to do that. And so therefore, there was no way out from under it. But when Jesus came to fulfill the law and to keep the law, then now he freed us from the burden of trying to fulfill all those laws and keep all those laws. Now, that don't get, now this is where the, the theologians get mad sometimes uh, when they think that, okay, uh, I'm going to use Special K as an example. Special K know she walking in big grace and faith. You know, she just walking in it, you know, big grace and faith. So now she said, because I know I got this grace, and Jesus already took the law off me, maybe I can cut some corners. Because if I cut some corners, I got grace to fall back on. I got God's unmerited favor. Jesus already took my crimes for me. And that's why some people get, because some people think, well, hey, I'm under grace. No, but grace is not permission for us to continue to do things that will violate the way Jesus will have us to live. And so that's why it's so important for us to understand that, because some people use this, oh, I'm under grace, so why change it? Because grace, where sin abound, grace abound even more. So some people say, well, hey, I said this before, I just keep on sinning, so I can keep getting some more. But that ain't what he meant. He says, now look, verse 14 says, through Jesus Christ, or through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. Went past the law and say the law was not even in place when God made that promise to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promise, Holy Spirit, through faith. So therefore, we didn't have to follow the law to get the Spirit. God had promised in Isaiah 32, 15, Ezekiel 11, uh, uh, 19, and Joel 2, 28, that he was going to pull out his Spirit. He was going to give us, change our hearts and give us a heart of flesh and put his Spirit in us. So God had been promising that he was going to send the Spirit all the time to the prophet. But that was not talked about in the law. And so what we got to understand is that when the Holy Spirit was promised, God did not change his plan. We can still get that Holy Spirit through 
Jesus. No work of our own, but through the work that he's already done. And by putting our faith in him, we have his spirit. Why didn't the Gentiles believe that? They, they, you're talking about right that point right there? Well, you got to keep in mind, if you're talking about these particular Gentiles, you got to remember, after he had taught them this, somebody else came and started teaching them something different. Somebody came in and told them, hey, you know, this was written before they settled this argument in Acts chapter 15 when they said, okay, we're going to agree at the council that there's, you no longer have to be circumcised. We're going to settle this once and for all. Circumcision is off the table. But even though they approved that, there were some disgruntled folk that still left there saying, even though they done rewrote the law and got a new rule here that we don't have to be circumcised, we still believe that folks ought to be circumcised. So there were still some people that walked away from that council and went and told other people, guess what? You still need to be circumcised. And so that's why Paul was upset because now these people are going back telling folk who done said, okay, there's no need for me to try to keep all the law. Then somebody said, oh, yes, it is. You can't really get to Jesus unless you get circumcised. And that's where the problem existed because there were people coming behind teaching some things that went contrary to what was said. So we receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now verse 15, he started making this logical argument. And I'm going to read this, and you know, we can comment a little bit here, because this, this is where you, you ought to say, man, even if I don't understand what all was said before about the scripture, about the Old Testament, about the law, and all the scapegoat and Jesus being sacrificed, right here he's just kind of make it plain. Say, say, this is my third argument. He said, now look, he says in verse 15, Dear brothers and sisters, here's an example from every, somebody say every day, everyday life. This ain't going to go over your head. This example is going to come from everyday life. And you know, some preaching got to be from everyday life. You just got to relate to what folks had every day. You know, that's why I bring up stuff like the internet, who your friend, who you're liking. Because I know that's every day. Texting. Because that's every day. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I've been talking about the telephone. Because we couldn't text. I've been talking about the telephone and just the computer, you know. Our computer just done got you out there. When I used to preach about Facebook, just every... What was that thing before Facebook? It was one before Facebook. Huh? MySpace. Oh, boy, I got in big trouble when I started getting on MySpace. I mean, I got in big trouble in the church because, you know, people used to come back and tell. I didn't know what MySpace was. You know, I'm illiterate. But, you know, some of our young kids within that MySpace thing, big, big. They putting all their stuff out there, big in this MySpace stuff. And, you know, that's when, you know, when the little girls were giving each other the boys' wake-up call in the morning. You know, I don't know what that was. They were waking them up. And so word got back to the pastor. Hey, look here. You know, some of your kids out there on this MySpace thing, man, they saying something. Okay, well, who are they? Okay, I got it. I'm thinking I'm being a good pastor and going to go and share what my intelligence done brought me back to help some friend deliver their children. And the question came back to me, what you doing in my business? Well, excuse me. I want you to know everybody else is in your business because the whole football team is talking about your your child. And I'm thinking I'm doing your favor. So that, that's letting me know that I, I got to be careful 
when I get intelligence, I was out there, you know, so I, I still preach about it, but I don't try to go and be the Savior and go and walk up to a parent thinking that they're going to just agree with me because some parents, So I've always been trying to be relevant in where, where people are, but sometimes it gets me in trouble. So I learned my lesson on that one. I thought I was doing a good deed, though, Major. I thought I was really... Another real example. I, want, I can't call no names because, you know, I don't even probably remember the kid's name. But at that time, like I said, the girls used to wake up in the morning and send the, send the boys a nudie. And they sent one to the football player, football player, and he went and shared it with the whole football team. Now, when the girl parents found out about it, they brought charges against him because they say he was trafficking pornography. But he was just taking a picture that their daughter sent him and sharing it with the football team. He didn't know his ignorance of that. He caught a charge and got expelled from from school. But, so these things, in ignorance, people are still doing crazy stuff. And if a preacher don't talk about the craziness sometimes, how they gonna know? Somebody gotta call them out. That ain't the law, that's just saying logical. These are things that's happening in everyday life. And so right now, I just need to be updated. So some of y'all who up to date when I finish this, Y'all come and talk to us and Pastor, you got to update your catalog. Here's what they're doing out there now. Whatever it is, well, you know, whatever, your catalog, the stuff that's up here in the old brain. Just, you got to update your stuff. This is what they're doing now. This is how the game is played now, you know. You, the seal, still looking for the same outcome, but some of the moves are a little bit different today than they were back when you, when you were, you know. So I don't mind staying current. Because I think when you're current, that make the gospel relevant to where people are. And that's one of the problems the churches have today is because young people don't think the gospel is relevant. It don't relate to me. It don't know where I am. It don't know what I'm going through. Jesus know you're grinding. He know you're trying to get there. He know it. He ain't got no problem with you trying to get there. He just wants you to do it his way. That's the way that he wants you to do it. He wants you to be successful. And so what he was trying to do now is say, hey, look, I want to give you some everyday examples. Everyday life. Just as one, look, he says this, just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. Now, let's think about it. I used the example of a will. But did you know marriage is supposed to be an irrevocable Agreement? I ain't knocking people who don't got divorced and all that. That's another story. That ain't my point. But my point is that the reason the church don't sign off only on your marriage license, you have to take it to the courthouse because it become a recorded record in the books. And now you done had a fight, and all of a sudden you're going to say, well, I ain't married no more. No. You can go sleep in a cave somewhere. But in accord with the law, you still marry. You can go out there and find a new Susie or a new Mikey and, and, and live happily ever after. And when you die, old Susie is still the wife of record. 
She's going to walk right in the courtroom and say, hey, new Susie, I'm sorry for you, baby. I know he, you got the best years out of him, but I caught him when he was crazy, and he didn't have sense enough to go down and revoke this thing. So guess what? If I decide to give you something, I might. But if I don't, don't be mad at me. You should have known that before you started having babies with him. I'm just making this, is that too real for y'all? Because he said I'm talking about everyday life. So he said, now look, when we start dealing with things in everyday life, we got to remember there are some agreements that we have entered that you just can't walk away from without going back to court to get it settled. That's why people, the church cannot, when I marry somebody, I don't sign a Christian document that binds them. I sign a document that the government gives me and say I need two witnesses and, and their signatures along with my signature and their folks are legally married. So theoretically, all I need is three people to marry somebody. The two people who want to get married and they're two witnesses. Do you want to bring a witness? We can have a ceremony. There's nothing but this empty room. But it's binding. Once I sign that and I send it down to the courthouse because I don't give it to them, I have to make sure a person to get to the courthouse. And when I take it to the courthouse and they record it in the books, then what I've done become legal. Other than that, what we do in a church is nothing but a ceremony. That's why you can go and get married don't even have to come to church. You can go straight to the justice of the peace and don't even show up here. What I do for you at that ceremony, I give you my little marriage certificate, that thing ain't, ain't worth nothing in court. It's just nice to put on your wall to say, Pastor Bolden married us. Ain't worth nothing. It ain't binding. You can tear it up soon you leave here. and Say, well, Pastor Bolden, I'll send you this back because I done left that rascal. Okay, go for it. But you're still married to him. <laughs> you're still married until you go down to the courthouse and change that record. What you changed that I wrote don't carry no weight. Finley, go ahead. Yeah, I had a quick question. Are there any other irrevocable agreements that are in the Bible besides just marriage? Any other revocable agreement? We don't have any covenant. Well, God made some covenants with, with Ab other covenants with Abraham and, along with faith, but marriage is the, the, the probably the, the one that we talk about the most, but there were certain things that God put in place that he didn't want his people to do. You know, an agreement that, say, for, it's some of the things that's in the law that God put in place. They were not all bad. Jesus didn't revoke them. You know, when he said, thou shalt not, thou, thou, thou. Jesus just said, hey, look, I'm going to tell you an easy way to get there. I ain't revoking them. I'm just telling you, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, spirit, soul, mind, and body, and love your neighbor as yourself. I'm putting that in place in what you already know, and if you do those things, you will keep the covenant under the other ten things. But when we talk about agreements that men make, you know, and there were certain agreements that people would make where they sign agreements with, with property, you know, just like we signed agreement with property, there was laws in the book that told them what they had to do when they signed in property. Uh, inheritance, there was laws on the book to say. That's why, if you remember, uh, there was a, a man, the whole affair, I think it was his name, he had nothing but girls when he died. And according to the law at the time, his inheritance had to go to his brother's children and not to his own daughter. Because that was the law. 
And so they had to appeal to Moses. Moses had to appeal to God. And then God said, okay, the girl's got a case. We'll change that. So we're not going to penalize him because he don't have any sons that his inheritance got to go to his brother's children instead of his own daughter's getting it. And so he changed that, and now they got their inheritance, but they did put a little addendum on it, Finley. When y'all got there and get married, y'all got to marry somebody in your daddy's clan. You can't go and take all his wealth over here to another clan. And I guess that's why rich folk were very particular who, they, particular who they children marry. I mean, you know, that's real, some reality out there, whether you're marrying up or down. So being that the laws change, like a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman. So, so, so as a pastor, you can say, I'm not doing that because all you're doing is performing the ceremony. There's nothing law buying that says you have to do that. And that's, the, and that's the dilemma that the churches are worried about now because the laws are changing and the, the church, for the most part, don't have a problem with the law that who can marry whoever they want to marry. Most churches just didn't want to call it marriage at first. Don't call it marriage, call it something else. Call it civil union, call it this. But don't change God's definition of marriage. Well, they lost that argument, so they're now married. So now the church argument is, hey, if you want to do that, then don't make me have to marry them and sign it. If I don't, if I don't want to do that, if I don't, if I don't feel like, hey, that's, I feel like that's going against what God prescribed as a relationship, and then so now what happens is that's when in France right now, people in France don't have to go to church. Churches have nothing to do with their wedding. All of it is in the civil courts. They get married. And so after they get married, they come to the church if they want to, to have a ceremony. But the binding part is already taking place in the court system. And so here, we're in a country where we can do the ceremony and they allow us as pastors, even a pilot can marry two people on a plane because on that plane, he has the authority to marry. So a pilot signed an agreement, he could marry people on a plane, and that is binding if you got witnesses. So for us, it's the same way. When people bring me their license from the courthouse, and I sign that, and then they take it down, and the, and the court put their seal on my signature, then that's a binding relationship. Church and state is separate. They can't, the government can't say, Pastor Bolden, if somebody comes to you, man and man, and say, I want to get married here, you can still say no. Could, would it, could it be a time where government says, no, you have to marry them because that's the law? They, they, that's what, it could come to that. It could come to that. But it's not right now, but it could come to that. But it came that way, I don't know if you remember, there was a, 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 a man who was a baker, and he used to do wedding cakes. And then somebody wanted him to put two men on top of the wedding cake, and he said he wasn't going to make the cake. But he lost in court. Oh, he didn't win? I know at first they say that, you know, if you're going to be in the business where you open up to the public, then you cannot turn anybody away who's coming for your services. Churches consider, even though it's open to the public, churches are considered kind of private 
groups. And so therefore, you can let in who you want and out of your church. The government can't make, say, you got to let these people into your church if you don't want to. But they do, there are ministers out there now, funny you should ask that, because we just had a, a legal review, because uh, every five years we get all of our legal documents reviewed by this church law firm that look at all church documents, our bylaws and all that. And every time laws change, they tell us. And so we just got a review the other day, say, hey, there's a swell out there, there's certain language you need to put into your bylaws so that if you are confronted with this case, you don't get sued. Pastor, as a pastor, you have your belief, and you believe in the, the word of God. And in the Bible, in Genesis, it said that God made man and fem fem uh, male and female. So when he made Adam, he didn't make Steve, he made Eve. So if someone come to you, two people come to you of the same sex, and said to marry them. And you said, no, you should be in your rights because you have your belief just like how everybody else have their belief and their rights. So you shouldn't be able to be sued because you decide that you didn't want to do what your word and your Bible tell you to believe in. But we live in a country where laws are changing every day. Laws change, but you still have your rights. But yeah, you, you got a right, but what I'm saying, it, the, the, the dilemma would be saying, okay, say for instance, or worst, worst case scenario. The laws change, and they say, hey, if you are a pastor and you're going to perform one wedding, you got to perform all weddings. So I got a choice to make. I said, you know, sis, you want to get married? Not here. You're going to have to go to the justice of the peace because I love you, but once I marry you, I'm going to open that door up, and then now I can be sued because I married you, but I won't marry somebody. Right now, it's not like that because nobody's really push, pushing that. But there's a swell out there to do that, and that's where the church is going to have to make a stand. But now, don't get me wrong. There are some churches out there that's cool with that. There are churches that are already doing it. And so, but there are some churches that say, no, they believe in traditional, that, hey, man and a woman is what con constitutes a marriage. So if you want to call them same-sex union, you want to call them this, that, and the other, don't call them marriage. Well, that battle been lost. And, and I didn't have no problem with that because... I don't have a problem because back in the day there was something called common law marriages. But we had, you know, before, and that helped out some people because you've been living with him for seven years and you know, then put your whole life in this rascal, then now that even though he didn't marry you but because you were with him, they considered that a common law relationship so now you was entitled to some of his benefits. So I'm not a hater. I ain't got no problem if you've been taking care of a partner or friend or whatever all your life and you want their social security. Give it to them. I ain't got no problem. I ain't trying to fight you for getting your social security. I ain't. Go get it. Go for it. I ain't hating like that. I'm just saying, don't make me marry you, have to marry you. Because then if that's the case, then striving, I will get out of the marriage business. Just because that's my position, that's where my heart is at on that issue, I'm not hating on anybody. Want that. I get out of it and say, okay. We'll have a ceremony here for y'all, but y'all got to go to the courthouse. And then now when you come back, we just want to have a private ceremony. We have you walk down the aisle and kiss and make up and all that stuff. We can do that. But I can't say I marry you in the, the state of Florida. You are now husband and wife. No, because you were that before you came in here. We just having a ceremony no different than a funeral or a baby dedication, anything like that. So it's a, it's a complicated thing 
but it's something that the church is definitely divided on. And there's no, that, you know, just a matter of where, where everybody's preference is based upon how they interpret God's word. And so it's something that, you know, those of you in the military, I mean, I, I, when I came in the military, it was a whole different military than where it is now. You know, so, so what happens is there's people who would have thought that, who would have thought that tattoos and earrings and all that stuff on men was going to play out in the military? Man, I could be mad. I said, man, look at what I was in. We couldn't have no sleeves up and down here and all that. We couldn't walk around no earrings out here on base. If you did, you better pull it, pull it off when you come through the gate. But then now I go out there, man, dude got sleeve tattoos everywhere. Ladies got sleeve tattoos. People got earrings in. Ladies, when I was in, you couldn't have them braids like that. Your hair couldn't be but a certain length. I mean, that was just, but the laws didn't change. So now I'm not, I, ain't, I ain't hating on you. I, I look back and say, man, I wish they had to change that law when I was in. I would have loved to have kept my afro instead of having to. <laughs> I mean, but they didn't, they didn't change the law with me. You know what I mean? So, so I had to live by the laws that they had in place. And now I don't hate on those people who are benefiting from somebody changing the law. And if I don't like that law, then I shouldn't join the military. I know this is a sensitive subject because it just, it's just what we live in. These are real, I'm glad y'all bring it up because these are everyday conversations and issues. So, so Pastor, what is, you mentioned, like I said, some constitutional bylaws when it comes to same-sex marriages. So is, what is, is there like a certain phrase you use when you're I guess, yeah, going you, through the ceremony? Is there, or is it, do you just call it marriage? You call it civil union? What, what is this phrase you're talking about? Now, what, what it is, the, 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 when it comes to the Constitution and bylaws, it tells you how your church is going to function. So what the lawyers are telling us, you need to put this legal ease in your governing documents so that no one can come in and challenge you and say, you got to marry me because you married Major and somebody else. You got to come marry me. So they, they coming up with the language that they know that will pass the muster, and they're going to put it in our Constitution bylaws so that when we get them ratified, then they will, they'll be able to stand up. So if someone sued us, we can say, oh, it's already in our thing. And, and, and it changed all the time. It started changing when uh, we had to change language when, when the church got caught up with uh, youth leaders doing things with young people in the church pedophiles and nudity, things of that nature. They said, hey, look here, you better protect yourself because if one of your youth leaders go out there and send a bad email to somebody, you could get sued. So here's some of the things you got to do to protect that. So you need to start doing background checks on everybody that's going to be working with your kids because just so that you'll know that they may not be, you know, got a record in that area. Now, we could have said, well, we ain't going to do it. Well, then we could, but I can tell you this, there was a case came up, not here, but the child went to church here, and something happened to that child, and we became a part of that investigation. All because that child come to church here on Sunday, the question was, did y'all notice anything or different about this child, or was there anything that you should have seen? Did the child say anything about being molested, about being abused, about being this at home? to y'all. And if they did and you didn't report it, you're liable. Mm -hmm. So then we had to put up on our walls upstairs to our kids, hey, if you're going to start talking about how your mom and daddy treat you at home, don't say nothing in here, because if you do say it and I hear it, 
I have to report it. Because if I don't report it and they do something crazy, then they're going to come back and sue the church. So there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on. So the church used to be immune from all this type of stuff, but now, man, the church gets sued just like anybody else. Because in a lot of preachers out there is acting like they're not preachers, they're just out there and they hustle. That's they might what, throw yeah, that yeah, yeah, word listen. from the Bible and stuff, and then them ask for money, more money than anything else, and then them doing stuff they don't have no business. So everybody become the same. Amen. Just pay for and just. Amen. I mean, there's some preachers that have stole from the church and do all those crazy things. So, you know, it's, it's, the church is a microcosm of society. So whatever you got in society, there's going to always be a little fraction of it that's going to get in the church. Just, that's just life. How, and that's why Jesus said, hey, the wheat and the tare, you got to grow together because you can't try to pull them all out because you're going to kill off some good folk while you're trying to. So you got to know how to manage those type of situations. Now look at this. He says, now look, let me get up, go ahead and read on. He says, I'm going to start back at 17. He says, this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. He says, for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then, would, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. So Abraham didn't keep no laws. He walked with God. He said, now look at this. Why then, verse 19, was the law given? Major, this is what you asked earlier. It was given alongside the promise to show the people their sin. When they came out of Egypt, they was cutting up. They were doing all kinds of stuff. And so God said, okay, until this grace thing come into play, I need to start showing you what's good, what's bad. And when Moses came off the mountain with the commandments and the law and all that stuff, God was saying, hey, look, your people can't go over there and act like they're still in Egypt. Worshiping all these other gods, doing all the things that the Egyptians do and all that. I got to put some boundaries in their life because if not, they're going to be acting like Egyptians. They're going to be carrying themselves like they don't even know me. So I'm putting these laws in place to kind of put them in check for a season till this grace thing can come in. But I'm putting these in check not to change the agreement that I made with Abraham. I didn't have no issue with Abraham. Abraham followed me loyally. But your folk now will worship anything going. So I need some laws for them. That makes sense? He says, but the laws were designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. Talking about Jesus. God gave his law through angels to Moses on Mount Sinai talking to Moses who was the mediator between God and the people. Moses was the go-between. And the reason Moses had to be the go-between is because you only need a mediator. He's going to explain this, so I'll read it on because the Bible is good about explaining itself. He says, now a mediator is helpful if more than one party must reach an agreement. We only need lawyers when the husband and the wife can't reach an agreement. Even if you're going to get a divorce, if you and your wife can sit down and reach an agreement, you can cut out all them thousands of dollars you got to pay a lawyer. Y'all write out, hey, you get the car, I get the house, we visit the kids six months, you get them in the summer, I keep them during the year, da-da-da-da-da, and it, you know, I had this when we came into the marriage, so I want my stuff back, you had this, this yours, and oh, by the way, I'll marry you more than 10 years, I want a little of your retirement. Can we agree on that? 
yeah, okay, that's reasonable. Then let's go down here and get the paperwork and we can file our own divorce. But once I go to Major Esquire, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and go back there and get Pam, Sister Esquire, and she got a hard spot in her heart for these no good rascals who take advantage of their wives, she's going to say, girl, look here, you can take him. You can take him. So this is what we need to do. We're going to show this, we're going to show this. Now you're at war and you need a mediator. So he's saying if, if you ain't mad with God about something, you don't need a mediator. Abraham and God was okay. They didn't need nobody to go between. But Israel and God were at odds, so Moses had to be the mediator. We were at odds with God, so Jesus had to be the mediator. I'm going to be through here in a second. Say, look. So now a mediator is helpful when more than one party has to reach an agreement. But God, who is one, did not use a mediator when he gave his promise to Abraham. If there is a conflict between God, God's law and God's promises, is there? He says, absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, he could not, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the law couldn't give us new life. All it could do was remind us of what sin was and then condemn us because once it identified the sin, there was a punishment associated with it. And that's why you paid off your sin by bringing a dove, a ram, a goat, a bull. Based upon the magnitude of your sin, that was a penalty that you paid to be set free. And they did that once a year. They called it a day of atonement. And in the Jewish culture now, even in Islam, during the month of Ramadan, that month of atonement, where they go and make sacrifices for all their sin, you know, the day of atonement, the forgiveness of their sin. But we don't have to wait till September or October and go offer up some. If you see it right now, you can get it right, right now. You may not live the next October. So we got a better deal. Man, Major made a mistake. He got to go and find a ram and get back here. And on the way, he gets hurt in an accident, can't get the ram. And then now his sin is still on him. No, man, we don't want that no more. That was a bad deal. We got a better deal, so therefore we have to embrace this better deal that God gave us through Jesus. He says, absolutely not. He said, if the law could give us new life, we would be made right by obeying it. But the scripture declares that we are, we were all prisoners of sin before Jesus. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. So we got free from the bondage of sin through Jesus, not by keeping the law. You didn't go through any ritual. You just accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's how you got free from the bondage of sin and law. Then he's talking about this as we wrap this up. Verse 23, he says, before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, we were placed under God by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith could be revealed. So in some Bibles they say the law was like a schoolmaster. It was there to watch out for us while we were infants. But when we got grown, we no longer... Some of the language they used there, they compared to a person who had small children and you had like a nanny or somebody looking over your kids. They were there to protect your children and guide them along the way when you weren't there. But when your kids get old enough, 
You don't need to be paying no nanny for no 19-year-old. I got a question about the ritual part you, uh, you mentioned earlier. And you're, I think you're, correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying, you know, you have to go through no ritual to get right with God. And kind of the question that kind of went through my head is, is kind of like what we do with communion and baptismal, is that considered on the lines of a ritual? That, that is a custom or ritual, but we do that because Jesus commanded us to do it. He says, do these things in remembrance of me. And so what, it, what makes it a ritual is that when we get so rigid in it that we, are tie, we tie people's salvation to that ritual. Then if you miss communion, oh, you ain't saved. Well, that ain't true. We do this out of respect to him because he told us to do it. So therefore, when we get baptized, you know, we're bat being baptized to be identified with his death, burial, and resurrection. But now, but on the, on the serious side, there are some churches out there who see that literally, meaning that if you say you gave your life to the Lord, and if you don't get baptized before you leave church, and you go out there and get hit by a car, you weren't saved. Your salvation is not complete until you get baptized and come up out the water. I don't think it meant it that way, so we don't practice that here. A lot of churches don't, but there are some churches that do. Because if that was the case, the thief on the cross would have never had a chance to get baptized. So if I can find a place in the Bible where some people were saved before they were baptized because of their faith, then now I'm going to put something in place to say, if you don't get water baptized, then your salvation ain't secure because we don't baptize every week at the church. But there are some people that believe in certain rituals and certain things like that. The thief on the cross, Pastor, huh? he didn't baptize in water. The one that tells Jesus to remember him when he gets to his kingdom, he didn't go in the water. Yeah, that's the thief on the cross, exactly. When he said, remember me, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so we see the law was designed to be a schoolmaster to keep us in protective custody until faith was revealed. Verse 24, he says, let me put it another way. In other words, Major, that man went over somebody's head, so let me make it plain by putting it another way. He says, the law was our guardian to look out for us until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now, verse 25, that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as a guardian. Now that your children are young adults, now you can have a nanny if you want to, but you don't really need one because they don't grew up in the house, they've been trained, they know how to babysit themselves, you know. At some point in time, you know, your kids outgrow babysitters when you can trust them, when they've been taught certain things, and now they understand your ground rules for your house and that and other, by the time they get 15, 16 years old. And even the law got a certain age that kids don't have to be babysitted. But until that age, you leave them at home by yourself and something happens, you're going to be liable. And just because you didn't know that was in the law, you're going to be subject to that law if they burn your house down and, they, and the insurance come to find out you left them in there and they were 10 years old, they're going to say, we ain't liable. That was negligence on your part. So sometimes when the people say ignorance of the law, it's really no excuse, you know. That's why it's good to understand the laws of our land because sometimes people do things out of ignorance and don't realize that it's still against the law, some of these crazy laws on the book. Jaywalking used to be a law 
against the law. And a lot of states are still on book. Nobody enforces it right now. But you could get an old road cop that decide today I'm just going to go out there and get major. Anybody I see walking across the middle of the street and not at a stoplight, I'm going to go ahead and give them a citation. And, and you can say, man, I didn't know that. I've been crossing this street all this time. Well, you got caught today. And your penalty is $100. So there are a lot of laws that's antiquated that's still not books. That's why people are always trying to figure out what's on the books because be real, that some place didn't take hanging off the books. Some places didn't take interracial marriage off the books. Because in some states it used to be illegal for two people of different races to get married. So we got some crazy laws, and that's why it's good for us to be intelligent and know what, you know, the laws that we live in our own country. He says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until he could make, we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as a guardian. For you are all children now of God through faith in Jesus, not the law. So I don't, major don't need to go out and get circumcised or bring no goats or ram to get right with God. Jesus did all that for him. He says, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on the character of Christ like putting on new clothes. So therefore we put on Christ, therefore we should be acting like Christ because now we are professing him as our Lord and Savior. So therefore when you say you're a Christian, there's a certain expectation that come along with that. Because people are going to say, hey, you don't put on Christ. Because you say, I profess that I am a Christian. And even the world know how they think Christians ought to act. Then he says, now, once we come and put on these new clothes and everybody realize we're part of one body that belongs to Jesus, this is where the church is still missing in that right here today. He says, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, during that time, women could not do certain things. The Jewish laws kept them. They couldn't own property. They couldn't do a whole lot of stuff under the Jewish law. Okay, and then during that time in the Roman Empire, slaves were common. They, they had slaves. And so some of them were considered what we would consider today as indentured servants. In other words, they worked as servants, but they got paid a little bit for being a servant. Some of them was in slavery because they owed somebody a debt and they couldn't pay it off, so they got sold into slavery to get, so that owner could get their money back and the other people not own them. Okay? But now what God is saying, even if you are slave or free, Major, I'm the slave owner and you the slave. Once I introduce you to Jesus, my relationship with you is supposed to change. I'm not supposed to see you any longer as a slave. I'm supposed to see you as a brother. And see, this is what the church is missing at today because we don't get this passage of scripture and live this out in the reality that God intended there should be no big divisions in the churches in the world if we all say we're Christian churches. But there are just as many Christian churches out there as you can name. You name them, they're out there. All the way from non-denomination to this denomination. You know, you just name them. Just go get a book of churches and religion. You can see just how many offshoots there are of Christianity. Because one or two little scriptures cause the disagreement. And because you believe in this and we don't, we're going to break away and do this one thing 
when that one thing had nothing to do with Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It's something that we should have been able to work our way through. But it's too late now. That all started when they broke away from the Catholic Church. Because Catholic Church was the first world universal religion. That's what Catholicism means. But when the Pope started putting all them rules on them, because he was coming out of Judaism, Martin Luther and the boys decided, hey, we're going to start a revolution and call it ourselves Protestants. Because we're going to protest the Catholic Church, and from Protestants come all the rest of us, if we're not Catholic. So religion is a, it's not, it's a mixture. It's worth a, it's worth a study. If you ever go to college and you just get a, a, a free class and you can take religious studies and just to get a credit, you'll get an A in it. Because most of the time the professor knows you don't want to be there because that ain't your major. You're just looking for an elective. Just go on, take it and get the A and keep on going. But you'll learn something. Just like I had to take astronomy just to get out. I, didn't, I knew I wasn't going to study no stars and no dipper, the black, you know, the black holes and the nebula and all that. I don't need to remember that. Man, so I know you don't want to learn that. But if you want to get your transcript right, you just come in here and sit here. I'll take care of you. Got it, Doc. Give me the passing grade so I can go ahead. So I'm just telling you. So if you got in college and you need a class, take religious study. You'll be surprised what you may learn. Verse the last verse, he said, look, now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of, he went all the way back to Abraham. He had to bring us Gentiles into that relationship with Abraham because we were not connected to Abraham through physical relationship. We're connected to Abraham through a spiritual relationship. And that spiritual relationship traced all the way back to his faith, and we operate under that same faith that he operated under, and so therefore we're entitled to the same promise. Yeah, birth seed. Like we, we, I don't trace my roots back to Abraham. But there are some people in certain cultures that can probably trace their roots all the way back to Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they can trace their roots all the way back there. And so because of that, that don't make me less of a child. And Paul is one of the few writers that talk about this thing called a spirit of adoption. So we got adopted and grafted into God's family but when you get adopted into the family, you got all the rights of a natural-born child. And so we don't have to feel like we're second-class citizens because now he says, and you are his heirs, just like everybody else. And God promised to Abraham belongs to you. So whatever God promised Abraham belongs to you. And I'm learning this right now because, you know, i got some legal issues going on in my life. You know, since my, mom, my dad passed, my sister passed, and, you know, they had a fair, my uncle passed. And I'm finding out that, hey, this thing about heirs is serious. When you're trying to go and find the estate, you got to find cousins and anybody who can be tied. This is a, man, this is a, this is a time-consuming, mind-blowing process. Man, it take this long to close out there? Yeah, we got to find everybody that could have a claim to what your uncle owned. What? Man, I didn't realize. I'm saying, man, just keep it. I ain't got time to be going through all this. Man, just, I really don't want, I just keep, because it, it, it's stressful trying to get all that settled. And so, you know, that's why you pay a lawyer. All that. If, there's, if there's a way, if the will, if there's no will, that's first, that's right. If there's no will, which we couldn't find a will, 
but he did have certain things with beneficiaries on, and so those beneficiaries are entitled to that. But if he had any other assets that was not clearly defined, that had a title to it, then every one of those heirs get a piece of that. His car, anything he owned, his house, everybody who's an heir can get a piece of that, and they have to be settled in court. And that's, and that's why folks fight. That's why I said, man, look here. Just find out what it is. Tell me what it is. We'll split it up. It ain't about three of us. So we just work it out. We'll split it and call it a day. I ain't finna argue about it, man. I ain't got time. But it is. I, I can imagine what it would be like someone who had five or six brothers, and those brothers, one died and had five kids. And you got to find all five of his kids before you can make a decision. And you ain't seen Cousin Jack in 10 years. Don't even know where he at. But we can't go forward till we put this in the paper for six months. You got to do this. You got to put a certified letter out to him. Oh, God, man. Awesome. That's why I tell anybody, get you a will or get you a trust, get you something that your stuff is in order so the folks will know what you want to do. I remember when you, you kept the class about the will. Mm-hmm. You, people, you have to learn something. You have to learn the hard way. Because when I tried it, I was doing something with my house. And I was surprised to find so many things on my, on my title. I still had the first um, lender on my title. I still had uh, how many thousands of dollars on these titles that had nothing to do with me. But if I was to pass and it, without a will or anything, even with a will, my kids wouldn't get it because they would know that these things that's on there is not their responsibility. Yeah. So they wouldn't have got it either. That's why, you know, a lot of times, and I'm, I'm through, so y'all, this is just information. That's why a lot of times when you're getting ready to buy property, uh, housing, stuff like that, before you go and buy it, that's why you get a lawyer to go back and search all those deeds, you know, so to find out whether or not there's a lost cousin out there who didn't get the message that, Big Mama died. Now you done bought Big Mama's house, and that cousin she'll say, "Hey, I'm an heir." And you don't got swindled because somebody done sold your property. They didn't run a deed check on. You know, that, I mean, that's real. It happens all the time. I'm done. So tonight, thank you for your time. I hope you got something out of this. I know we were talking about making it practical, the law and grace and all that. But the bottom line is, we got Jesus. We got enough. Amen.